All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you once again for this privilege, this opportunity of gathering together as family in the unity of faith, Father, faith that you've provided each one of us by grace. We are what we are by your grace alone. Anything good in us is by your grace alone. Everything good, every good gift even, is from heaven. We mustn't forget these fundamental principles, and we're just so very grateful for your word, for revealing them to us in time. And thank you for your patience also, Father, as we sort of take our time in growing up spiritually, and that your wisdom is second to none, and that your timing is always perfect. We may not always understand it, Father, but we're so grateful for the faith you've given us to know at least that you've got everything under control and that all things work together for good for those who love you. Father, we pray for those that are ill in our congregation, especially our hearts and prayers go out to them, and we just want them to know that we are with them in spirit. We pray also for those in this world that are still lost, Father. What a indictment against them. What a looming judgment on them. And we just pray that you humble them and that we have additional brothers and sisters for all of eternity. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for the one act that made a morning like this a reality for sending your son to the cross to die in our stead. We do just ask for your blessings on this morning's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, the question is, are you ready? Uh, and the theme really is borrowed from this past week. Um, a lot of the things, and just I'll just speak openly before I dig in, a lot of the things that have been coming from the pulpit are things that we all ought to consider as um, a readiness principle. Um, even three years ago when we um, reloaded the gospel, God's timing was perfect with it. Because if we got those lessons... Ten years ago, many of us would have likely rejected them. And so he had to take us to a place and then another place and then another place and then another place. And in his perfect timing, he delivers us with truth that sets us free. And principles that have been coming from the pulpit even the last couple of weeks, um, starting with you know last Sunday's Mother's Day special and what have you, they're readiness principles. A lot of you um, weren't ready for what the Spirit had to say on certain topics. And that's fine, because that's the way God does things. And I don't want anybody, I guess, um, I don't want anybody to be, you know, condemned or feeling guilty or somehow poorly about previous decisions or what have you um, that they've made about on certain topics, because that's not the intention. The intention is to build you up. The intention is to give you true wisdom that sets you free. So with that said, this past week, the Spirit gave us a lot to think about, beginning with this key principle. Deacon Johnson and I were talking about this before class. Uh, satanic deception. We must always remember that Satan is a master, a master of deception. And the most effective deceptions are the least obvious. And so that means that you have to actually dig you actually have to take the time to seek to knock, and the door will be open. Seek and you shall find. The most effective deceptions are the least obvious. You have to look in the mirror. You have to have that fellowship. That's the beauty of prayer. So often, I don't know about you, but I'm assuming it's the exact same way in all of your prayer lives. That's when he reveals things to me, when it's quiet, in the quiet of my soul. I pray and I ask for guidance and he reveals things to me in those moments. And you'll tell me, you know, you're being deceived. You bought a lie. Your thinking is awry. You're asking me for these things and I've shown you them over the years even. 
and you've rejected them or you've not been ready or what have you. But I'm going to show you again. And then it's like, aha, oh man. The most effective deceptions are the least obvious. And the ones that are humble and go to the throne of grace for answers, he gives them to you. So says Holy Scripture. If you're confused, if you lack wisdom, go to him. Only the word of God is able to shine light on them and to reveal their insidiousness. And we got this this past week as well. 1 John 3, 7. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. Why would the apostle of love say that? Make sure no one deceives you. Why? Because you're deceived. Because we get deceived. Because of the trickery and the winds of doctrines and these kinds of things. And I was just thinking aloud here, and bear with me. I wonder why, thinking about, say, just this past week, some of the things that have come out this past week, I wonder why someone might reject messages like those we've received this past week. And having been a pastor now for about a decade, my experience tells me that at least one of you has. No matter what I teach, there's always one person at least, sometimes many more. But just based on experience alone, someone in here has rejected this past week's lessons. And I wonder about it. I say, why? So this got me thinking as to why any believer would ever reject the truth that is really meant to set them free, nonetheless. And the best answer I've concluded is a general rule of thumb concerning spiritual growth itself. When people reject the truth, what it really means is they're not ready. If they're here and they're willing somehow, at least to some degree, and they still reject the truth, they're not ready yet. Up here on the board. Being ready. Some people will reject truth the first time they hear it, because they aren't ready for it yet. And just to be accurate, God isn't willing to give them understanding. That should be understanding. God isn't willing to give them understanding yet. Luke 9, 43-45, 24-44-53. Individual readiness is a function of God's timing. I mean, I know all the time there, I have to teach, for the most part, middle of the road. That means there are newer believers or younger believers, and that doesn't have anything to do with age. It often does, but it doesn't have to be. Younger believers in the faith, they don't always get what I'm teaching because I'm teaching here. And then there's things that are, that are way up here, or people up here that, you know, they're like, yeah, I get it. And sometimes I have to elevate the conversation, what have you. But it matters as to readiness. And readiness is a function of faith. And who gives faith? God allots to each a measure of faith. And nobody in here has the same amount of faith on every topic. And so what ends up being the reality is that a person who rejects the truth isn't ready yet for it. And that's fine. Go to Luke 9.43. That's fine. Luke 9.43. As long as someone doesn't become antagonistic, then that's another issue altogether. Luke 9.43. Because the mistake is that they don't agree that they're not ready. They say they're ready and they reject the truth anyways. That's a different story. That's an arrogant issue. Luke 9.43. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God... But while everyone was marveling at all that he was doing, he said to his disciples, Let these words sink into your ears, for the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. Look at verse 45. But they did not understand the statement, and it was concealed from them, so that they would not perceive it. What? Yeah. Here's the truth but you're not ready yet. So it was concealed from them so that they would not perceive it. You see that they're passive in this statement. It was 
concealed from them so that for a reason they would not perceive it well who has the ability to give someone eyesight who enlightens the eyes of our hearts god does so if god says i don't want you to understand it right now then you won't maybe i don't know i'm going to speculate so don't say this is doctrine but maybe if they they found out they'd be more like peter trying to change the course of of history Maybe he didn't want that to happen. Maybe he didn't want a bunch of fools running around trying to stop the cross. Do you understand? But he did want to plant that seed for whatever godly reason was necessary. But God's the one who enlightens our heart, the eyes of our hearts. We just learned that. God is the one. So they did not understand the statement and it was concealed from them so that they would not perceive it and they were afraid to ask him about this statement. So you see there's something there, something there uh, that was peculiar, if you would. Up here on the board, it was concealed to them. Up here on the board, the sovereign God of the universe withheld divine viewpoint from Jesus' disciples for his own purposes and in accordance with his own desires. And they didn't, they, I mean, they were afraid to ask. I, I don't get it. Do you get it? I don't get it. What's he talking about? I don't, I don't want to know. So it was concealed to them. And you have to hand over what's rightly God's, which is the ability to give us true viewpoint, divine viewpoint. So the sovereign God of the universe withheld divine viewpoint from Jesus' disciples for his own purposes and in accordance with his own desires. We know Isaiah 55, 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Perfect example. Get behind me, Satan. I'm trying to get to the cross. And you're trying to stop me. You don't understand what's going on, Peter. That's you. That's you in a, in a, in a very small way. When you reject the truth. For some of you, the truth is laid right on your lap and you go, no thank you. Not buying that one. Don't want that right now. Don't even understand it. And what I'm telling you, as your teacher, is that wait for it. At some point, you will see it. And it's not an uncommon pattern, if you've noticed over the years. Most of the time, whenever the Spirit pushes the proverbial envelope from the pulpit, most of you reject it. Oh, I don't know, man. It didn't sit well in my soul at all. Hey, did you? Did you oh, my goodness. And the weakest ones run away because they're not really humble. They're not really looking for truth. They're looking for things that align with their own preconceptions about God. And there's whispering, murmuring, and then slowly people begin to see the truth and they're delivered and set free. And look back and could say, Oh, thank you, Pastor, for being the vessel to stand while I was punching you in the throat with my dagger eyes and my vipers. Right? You don't think I see that stuff? It's so obvious. I know enough about everybody here to know when a certain lesson is going to affect you personally. And so I look and I go, yep, that's about right. Right? It's like, I expect nothing less because you're weak and unknowing and lack wisdom and faith, and things that set you free. I'm not talking down to you, I'm talking from Holy Scripture, and from personal experience as well. So what we all need to realize is that everything that happens under God's watch is by design, ordained by Him. Everything. This means that even when we can't understand something spiritual, it's not always because we've been lazy. There Maybe untold times where God simply isn't willing to reveal the whole truth to us about something. Just like we say, it's concealed to us so that we would not perceive it. Why? Because maybe we can't handle it. Maybe it's too much. Maybe it's a truth, but God protects us until He sanctified us a little bit more over here and a little bit more over here. It would be like saying, you know, I'm gonna, this is you and this is your support system and I'm going to put this on top of you. No, 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 i got to build a few more pillars, and then I'll put it on top, and you can hold it. Your, your faith will hold 
what I have to say about a much heavier topic. I don't know. But that's how he seems to work. So there may be untold times where he conceals things from you because he loves you to boot. That doesn't mean we have the right to make something up like many do. That's a problem. Well, I don't get it, so I'm going to make something up. That's a huge mistake. Just count yourself unknowing. Just say, I just don't know. So it doesn't mean that we have the right to make something up. It means that we must say, in our own way, I don't fully understand what God is up to, but I trust Him as my Lord. I don't know what He's up to. I feel a little uncomfortable here, but I trust Him. Again, the point up here on the board is being ready. Some people will reject truth the first time they hear it because they aren't ready for it yet. To be accurate, God isn't willing to give them understanding yet. Individual readiness is a function of God's timing. We just looked at Luke 9.45 that said, but they did not understand the statement and it was concealed from them so that they would not perceive it. Let's check out the other passage. Go to Luke 24.44. Luke 24 verse 44. So we know at some previous time, uh, things were concealed from them. And by God's divine design, uh, He didn't want them to know. He didn't want them to understand yet. Luke 24:44. Now He said to them, These are My words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then, you see at the end of it, the end of the story, so to speak, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures because the timing was right. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in His name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. In other words, these things are behind you now. Do you see? Now you're ready to understand what I was trying to tell you before, or what I put before you, and you didn't get. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending forth the promise of My Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. So this is ascension. And then after worshiping him, returned to, uh, they, after worshiping him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. And so the bigger picture even is prophetic, of course, right? He said, these things are going to happen. I don't get it. Don't worry about it. They're going to happen. I don't, God says, I don't even want them to understand it yet because they might get in the way and try to stop it. Who knows? But after it all happened, they looked back and said, he said this was going to happen, didn't he? So he knew all along. And what would that do to your faith? You'd say, that really was the Son of God. He actually prophesied. So that's all they needed to know, was to have that to draw upon later on. I mean, maybe that's what God does in your life sometimes. You know, uh, uh, God is not mocked. What a man sows, he will also reap. He may say that to you. And then later on you go, you know, when you're in a predicament or you're totally blessed out, you look back and go, he did tell me. I'll reap what I sow. I didn't get it yet because I was too busy oogling, you know, oh, but they're so handsome or oh, she's so beautiful. Right? And God's like, don't do it. And it's coming from the pulpit. Don't do it. Oh, yeah, no. And then he looked back and like, oh, crap, I should have listened. Didn't understand it then, did you? And maybe God wanted you to learn a lesson. Or on the good side, maybe you just took a leap of faith. And you're blessed out. You say, I don't understand how it's going to happen. You ever done that? I mean, I'm just going to walk out on faith. I don't know how he's going to bless me out in this situation, but I'm, Spirit's pushing me in this direction. And lo and behold, you look back. He said he was going to bless me, and I'm blessed. 
That's how God works. Again, it's about being ready. This is an important lesson because it seems most of the time we think we're ready for just about anything. Is that fair? No, we do. I'm totally ready. I'm ready. And then he gives you something. You're like, oh, I reject it. Right? Oh, I'm totally ready. Give it, give it to me. Give it, give it. Come on, get ready. Oh, no, no, no. That's, that's false doctrine. Just pack up, sweetie. Time to leave the bald guy. Don't like that at all. You're not ready. You think you're ready. But you're not. In fact, speaking from personal experience, and I'm saying this is me, my own failures, we often get a little cocky. I'm good. And for the record, cockiness and arrogance are the same. And blessings, oh, here's, a, here's a bombshell for you. Blessings aren't found together with either term in the Bible, in the positive sense. Cocky, arrogant people are not blessed out. So think about that. When we think we uh, are ready for stuff, when we think we've got, you know, the proverbial bull by the horns, we're reading our Bibles daily, you know, we're in the Word of God, you know, we're faithful stewards of His time, and even maybe His finances, you know, with the church and all that stuff, and it's, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm like bomb on everything. I got really no flaws. I've never said that to myself, just for the record. This is not, we're off the Ed Collins train right now, okay? But I know people have said stuff like that. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't make mistakes, really. It's everybody else. What? Really? You don't make mistakes? No, not really. If we find ourselves becoming boastful about ourselves and our so-called accomplishments in the spiritual life, we have just proven to ourselves that we are deceived. If we find ourselves becoming boastful about ourselves and our so-called accomplishments, we have just proven to ourselves that we are deceived, the very thing the Spirit's been warning us all against. Go to James 4.16. James 4.16. As soon as you stop boasting, you have to step back and go, I'm deceived. I'm deceived. And that's when you ask, the, you say, I don't know why, how I'm deceived. Well, that's when you go to prayer. How am I deceived? Here's where you're deceived. Here's how. James 4.16. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Okay. So if you're boasting in yourself, and you think you're all that, and you think you're ready for anything that God could possibly send you away, you are deceived. And that's evil. So there's timing in view. What I've found in life is that the folks that boast about stuff all the time, especially themselves, they are actually insecure people, which is something that God will never personally sow in a believer. Insecurity is not from God. A person who's preoccupied with boasting about themselves, constantly telling you, you know, their, their wonderfulness and all the stuff that they do, and they do these things for grammar and grandpa and others and... You know, they've evangelized 4,000 people last week alone. It's unbelievable the amount of time. You'd think they, were, they could barely have time to eat or sleep. But that's how wonderful they are. And they're letting you know at every turn how wonderful they are. They're insecure. They're insecure because they're trying to build a... They perceive there's a gap. Their self-esteem is based on something ungodly. How do you know? Because the fruit of the Spirit is not insecurity. God won't sow such things in a believer. Now granted, He may allow things to exist in a person due to their own arrogance, but God isn't interested in sowing insecurity, anxiety, malcontent, etc. in a person. Rather, just the opposite. So let me point you to some Holy Scripture for some wisdom on boasting. And this first verse goes out to any of you who think you want to become a leader someday. This verse goes out to any of you 
who think you want to lead someday. Or maybe you already are leading and are struggling with it. Go to Proverbs 27.2. Proverbs 27.2. Let me give you some advice from Holy Scripture. This is one of the ways you can tell a true leader. Proverbs 27, 2. Scream in the streets how awesome you are. Nope. Oh, man, that's not in Scripture. Nope. Proverbs 27, 2. Let another praise you. Why don't you just get your nose in the grindstone the way it's supposed to be as a servant, because the greatest among you will be servants, as a servant, lead others in servitude, And leave the rest up to God. Let somebody else praise you. Let somebody else praise you. You focus on the job at hand. Let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. Up here on the board. So a little perspective on boasting. If anyone should boast, it should be God over his grace in you. God has every right to boast. You don't. He doesn't need or want you boasting about yourself. The greatest boasting is when you attribute credit where credit is due. Go to 1 Corinthians 15.10. 1 Corinthians 15.10. God doesn't need your help. First Corinthians 15.10. This is an absolute plague in America. Boasting of self. 1 Corinthians 15.10 But by the grace of God I am what I am. And His grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. That's what you're to boast in. An alternative, more biting perspective is the one Paul wrote earlier in the same book to the Corinthians. Go to... 1 Corinthians 4.7. 1 Corinthians 4.7. Since we're on the topic of boasting in self, which really is a show of insecurity and fear. Fear and insecurity are close cousins, and there is no fear in love. 1 Corinthians 4.7. For who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Yeah, those are some pretty sound words. You know what? It's a privilege to serve. There's duty in it, but there's a privilege in serving. And I think that the average American has no idea what I just said. It's still concealed from them. And maybe some of you, it's still concealed from you. Maybe you're rejecting what's coming from the pulpit. I don't know. Like I said, at least one of you is, based on experience. Maybe such things are concealed from you. Maybe you don't understand what a a leader like me says, filled with the Spirit, about servitude. That a leader's job, first and foremost, is to serve And that's what makes them great, quote-unquote. So says Jesus himself. You want to be great in this world? Serve. You You want to see boasting about you? Leave it up to other people. And then when they approach you, say, it's I am what I am by the grace of God. So as long as you understand that about me, we're good. That sound American at all? Nope. It literally is the exact opposite of America. America says, all right, you ready? The older you get, the bigger a funnel you have over your head. You stick it in the top of your head, right? And people pour like gratitude, uh, what's the right word I'm looking for? Um, Platitudes, you know what I'm saying? Oh, you're awesome. You know, just get a big funnel and make the funnel bigger and bigger so that anything that's even in your vicinity, even if it's not really your doing, you can take credit for it. Right? You ever see? You ever work with somebody like that? That they spend twenty-five percent of the time taking your credit. 
you know what I'm getting at? They look, they're called brown noses. Do you know what I'm saying? That's what they do. They just have huge funnels on their head and they make sure that stuff funnels to them because they're insecure. Because they don't measure up in their own head. That's the basic problem. I don't measure up. I need more platitudes from the world. I need more. I need to, and then I'm going to tell you too how awesome I am with my awesome shirt. And then it says like, he said, all right, stand over here to the next. It says, I'm with stupid. All right. Boasting up on the board. If anyone should boast, it should be God over His grace in you. He doesn't need or want you boasting about yourself. The greatest boasting is when you attribute credit where credit is due. All right, back to our instigating point. That is, that if we're boasting in ourselves, we are deceived. This is one of the great deceptions. Watch any NBA game nowadays. Complete idolatry and deception. You see how I drove the lane? I'm awesome. See how I did this? See how I did that? See how I, 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 me, me, my, I, I, me, 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 I. Is there anybody else on the court with you? I didn't realize there was. Because the spotlight just chased me around in my own head. I'm just that awesome. And the rest of the world's like, you are. Here's $20 million a year. You are awesome. People stop beginning to believe their hype. That's a deception. And there's a whole culture that propagates it in our beloved country, unfortunately. So if we're boasting in ourselves, we are deceived, but it's interesting because the world will tell us you have every right to boast in yourself, your achievements, etc. You've worked hard. And all I could think about was, remember the old Donna Summer song? She works hard for the money. You know that song? That's what the world tells you. Oh, oh, it's totally you. It's all you. You have every right to boast. You're a self-made woman. You're a self-made man. That's in complete contradiction to I am what I am by the grace of God. So either one, one, someone's right, the world's right, or God's right. In one sense, there is some goodness in reflecting back on all that God has done in you by grace and all that you are uh, really or really are this day. I mean... You are in possession of some wonderful things, and you really are these things. And when you see it, there's nothing wrong with living in gratitude and saying, you know, this is what I am because I'm in Christ. That's fine. But to do so in the absence of complete appreciation for His grace and power being the enabling instruments is to miss the mark. And by definition, to miss the mark is to sin. As soon as you miss the mark, all glory and honor to Him, right? As soon as that funnel starts opening up and all of a sudden a little bit of God's glory starts funneling into your head and the world's like, yeah, expand. You want more and more of that glory. So much so that there is how many unbelievers, God knows, going to hell because the funnel is so big there's no room for God's glory. They don't want any of God's glory. They don't even want to hear it. Their hearts are completely hardened. To truth. Sometimes when we look in the mirror, we see Satan and we don't even know it because we consider ourselves beautiful, just like he did, being awfully deceived himself. Yeah. We look in the mirror, we see Satan, we don't even know it. Let's say, that's a pretty handsome dude right there. My new perm, it just came out so good. <laughs> right? Or, I'm such a good person. I'm a beautiful person. I'm a beautiful person. Did you see how I paid for the groceries of that old lady who was struggling with her food stamps? Did you see what I did? Did everybody see what I did here? <laughs> I'm such a beautiful... That's Satan. Go to Ezekiel 28, 17. You know, Satan was, I guess you could use the word stunningly beautiful. Sounds weird to attribute that to a, a, a male creature, but he was. If he was here, I wouldn't even exist. Seriously, men and women alike would be drawn to him 
And they'd just be staring at him, and I'd be trying to teach my lesson, and you guys would be ignoring me. I'm just kidding. I'm not saying it all you would, but you know what I'm saying. He's that attractive. I know it's hard to believe more attractive than me, but Jim. Jim's the only one that laughed at that. You guys know I don't think that, right? Not really. <laughs> Ezekiel 28, 17. Satan is being addressed. Your heart was lifted up because of your what? Beauty. You corrupted. Ezekiel 28, 17. I gave you all, geez, I gave you like a whole minute. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. Because of your beauty. You see, there's no slipping the knot. There's no slipping out of that. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. Ever looked in the mirror and say, man, I'm beautiful and your heart's lifted up? Yeah, you don't have to admit it. You guys are, nope, never. You just did it this morning. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. <laughs> right? Well, this is satanic. This is the satanic pattern. Take something beautiful in you that God gave you and then give it and attribute it to yourself. A very, 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 very bad, dangerous, slippery slope to, to jump on. Because as soon as you do that, everything you know about your self-esteem is now based on that very thing. And as we know, beauty and such things, they're fleeting. One day you have it, the next day you're sick with the flu and you look like your rear end. <laughs> right? And then what? Then your self-esteem's in the toilet because what? You're no longer seeing what you saw in the mirror the day before? I don't want that as, as the basis of my self-esteem, my security. That's going to sow all kinds of insecurity, anxiety, and doubt. Oh, my God, what am I going to? Oh, my God, i got to get plastic surgery now because now, it's, now my, everything's sagging and I'm not going to be beautiful anymore and I can't. Oh, you just bought a lie. You are deceived. America is absolutely famous for lifting up beauty and calling it light. When the Bible warns us vehemently otherwise, up here on the board, Proverbs 31.30, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. So I was thinking about Americans, as I often do because my heart breaks. Why do most Americans seem to give Hollywood actors and actresses a seat at the political table as if they knew more about social issues than, say, even a pastor? Seriously. You pretend to be somebody else, you're good at it, and the rest of the world looks to you for political insight? You're not even happy being yourself on your job. You know, most historians believe that George Washington and Abe Lincoln, you remember those guys? Yeah, they wouldn't be elected because they weren't physically attractive enough. Yeah. Most believe that that wouldn't have happened because they weren't physically attractive enough. How grotesque is that? Honestly. How disgustingly grotesque is that? Arguably, some of the greatest leaders the country has ever known wouldn't have been elected because they're not beautiful enough? Attractive enough? Are you serious? That's the basis of American elections nowadays? Yep. Yep. What does that sound like? Satan. The point is that Americans are famous for misappropriating beauty as light. Satan was more beautiful than any other creature, and that is precisely what he did and still does to this day and wants all of you to do the same on his behalf. Up here on the board from the message, 2 Corinthians 11, 14, 15, Satan does it all the time, dressing up as a beautiful angel of light. So it shouldn't surprise us when his servants masquerade as servants of God. But they're not getting by with anything. They'll pay for it in the end. That about sums up this message already, pretty much. Everything up until now, that's about the sum of it, the summary of it. Satan does it all the time, dressing up as a beautiful angel of light, so it shouldn't surprise us when his servants masquerade as servants of God, but they're not getting away or by with anything. 
they'll pay for it in the end. God is not mocked. Again, our overarching theme over the past week has been this, up here on the board, satanic deception. We must always remember that Satan is a master of deception. The most effective deceptions are the least obvious. Only the Word of God is able to shine light on them to reveal their insidiousness. Up here on the board, only the Word of God is able to shine light on deception. We are not shrewd enough, even. Shrewd enough to see it by ourselves. Our job is to learn to recognize such deceptions. For example, go to Matthew 10, 16. Matthew 10, verse 16. Our job is to keep looking. And if you lack wisdom, what do you do? You go to the Word of God, just like the Word says to do. Go to God in prayer. Ask for more strength. Ask for more guidance. Ask for whatever is required. Matthew 10, 16. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Almost like a dichotomy, huh? Be shrewd as serpents. That's the one I think that gives people fits. Up here on the board, though, let me give you three other translations on that little phrase, shrewd as serpents. The message says cunning as a snake. The Amplified says wise as serpents. And Darby says prudent as serpents. And the only way you get into that mode is to start thinking even along the, that line. Start thinking about deception and start measuring deception against truth and what you see in your own life and making sure that you're not deceived because like we all just agreed, the most effective deceptions are the ones that are the least obvious. Hold your thumb. Jeremiah's friends warned him. Go to Jeremiah 12, verse 6. Jeremiah 12, verse 6. And we looked at Jesus, uh, one of the accounts where Jesus was buttered up, as Scott said on Thursday. You know, the crowd was trying to butter Jesus up so that it could, like, hit him. Remember? Like, oh, you're such a great teacher. Oh, Rabbi, we know you're such a swell guy. But what about this? Right? We got you now. We got you at the table. We got you now. Well, all you have to do is be like Jesus, shrewd as a serpent. Say, I, I know what's going on here. I see your trickery. That's what we want. We want to see trickery even in our own lives because we have the fingerprints of the world and all of Satan's agents of light all over us. All over us. And we've willingly let other people touch us physically, emotionally, figuratively. And their fingerprints are all over us. Jeremiah's friends warned him, Jeremiah 12, 6, For even you, your brothers in the household of your father, even they have dealt treacherously with you. Even they have cried aloud after you. Do not believe them, although they may say nice things to you. Do not believe them. Although they may say nice things to you. David also had the wisdom to discern such things. Go to Psalm 55, 12. Psalm 55, verse 12. We need to be shrewd as serpents. You have to actually see that this stuff exists. You have to understand, I'm not, this has nothing to do with Ed Collins. You have to understand that I really am your friend. I have nothing to gain by telling you the truth other than to see you grow and, and rejoice in it. You have to realize that I'm your friend and a lot of your so-called friends outside of these four walls are not your friends. They are telling you what you need to hear, what you want to hear, to keep you in that system of thinking, in that deception that you've been in for God knows how long, maybe since the day you were born. I don't know. Psalm 55, verse 12. For it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me. Then I could hide myself from him. But it is you, a man my equal, my companion, and my familiar friend. We who had sweet fellowship together walked in the house of God in the throng. That's a hard thing. And if you know anything about David, if you read David and done any study on David, 
you know that he was a heartfelt, passionate man, a very humble man. And that would have stung him to the core. That would have hurt him deeply to know that the people that he was considering friends, his closest companions, were the ones that were undermining him, the ones that were trying to destroy his own peace and in some ways his own life. I right, go back to Matthew 10, 16. And so the idea is to be shrewd as a serpent and understand the way that serpent, serpents work. And a serpent can be inside of a person who maybe even, quote-unquote, means well. But you have to be able to discern what's actually coming out of their mouth. Are they helping... Uh, bring glory to God? Are they advancing the kingdom of God? Or are they hurting? Are they advancing the kingdom of darkness with what they're telling me right now? And that's why you have to go to the Word, not the phone. You go to the Word to get your answers. True to serpents. Again, behold, I send you out in the midst of wolves, so be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Again, the message has cunning as a snake, amplified wise as serpents, darby prudent as serpents. Being this way means that we must have the eyes of our hearts enlightened with the truth from the Word of God, not from media, for example. Not from, we were talking about that as well, DJ and I. I'm almost at the point, I don't know, I just, I don't know. You turn on, the, that, that television is just a haunting sewer pipe. I, it's just there's just so many false doctrines and so many lulling things that come from that thing that is like you know it's the what do we call it the living room right okay that means because we spend a lot of time there right what is the biggest piece of furniture nowadays in the living room the tv so the sewer pipe that used to be a little radio that was like and you're getting like orson wells you know you know getting that is all, it grew into like this little black and white tube thing. And you're like, oh, all right, so it's howdy doody or whatever. Then it goes to like sha-na-na on a color console that's on the floor. Oh, boy, oh, right? And even then it was like some, you know what I'm saying? Then it's like happy days and like, you know, Joey likes Lawrence Welk reruns. I don't know. I didn't even know he knew it existed. You know what I'm saying? But then we grew up. We grew up. And now it's giant flat screen, sewer pipe, and the bigger one than that is the internet. I'm going to share something with you. This is so gross. My soul is still, is still uh, upset about this. I didn't even know this existed until like a year or so ago. There are apps now on phones, because this is a walking computer now, right? A cell phone. They call them hookup apps. That's slang for go, finding someone you don't know and having sex with them and then saying goodbye. You go on your phone, you say, no, I don't like this one. Oh, yeah, I like that one. And if two people say they like each other, you hook up. What? And then I'm watching a YouTube video of some young lady. She's probably in her mid-20s. And she's saying, the whole video is, my, uh, my, uh, uh, my Tinder, the name of the, one of the apps is Tinder, my Tinder experiences. And I'm like, what the heck is this? So I watch it, and I'm like, oh, my God. And she said, literally. So I hooked up, and, you know, it was, you know, it was good. The next one, and, you know, we hooked up. Oh, this guy was such a jerk. He didn't even buy my Cheetos. I'm saying to myself, you are so warped. You're judging this idiot because he didn't buy your Cheetos, but you're going to have sex with him? What the? Where is your head? That's, the sex pot isn't the problem. The Cheetos is. Do you understand what I'm getting at? This, this person was so warped. Her viewpoint was so warped that she was upset about the Cheetos. And not that she just gave herself up to some stranger. Half the time they're married. To some stranger. What is going on? <laughs> I 
Ready? Boop, boop. Oh, you got a new like on Tinder. Ooh. What? Better buy me Cheetos. Do you understand what I'm getting at? This world is completely warped. And now I'm upset. Like it, it, like, it was like taking a cheese grater on me. And I'm like, this stuff actually exists? Yep. And people have totally normalized it. Not a big deal. At all. It's disgusting. It's so bad. And I'm not judging anybody. I'm just saying it's really sad to see what's going on and who is... Who is feeding individuals doctrine? So being shrewd as a serpent means that we must have the eyes of our hearts enlightened with the truth from the word of God, not the media or some cell phone or whatever. And when we do this, when God decides in his perfect timing that he will open our minds to understand the scriptures like we just read in Luke 24, 45, when that time comes upon our lives, when he says, I know I told you something before, you didn't get it. I know you didn't get it, but now I'm going to open your mind to that scripture. I'm gonna, you're going to flourish like some of you said you got with the gospel over the last three years. I can't believe I read that so many times. I had it wrong. God had to get you in the right place, I guess. When God decides in his perfect timing that he will open our minds to understand the scriptures, what we quickly realize, almost abashedly, is that we have been deceived. And as the Spirit pointed out this past week, sometimes the greatest deceptions are the ones that are standing right in front of us. In fact, if we're honest, it seems most of our greatest you know, aha moments are when we realize something truly fundamental is awry in our souls. Excuse me, I think about the gospel, of course, first and foremost, um, and how the Spirit's ironed that out over the past three years or so. And I think of other topics like even the parable of the soils, repentance, life in the womb, uh, dating, the blessing of children, the Great Commission, etc., etc. These are all things that at one point in my life I thought I had nailed. I was like, ask me anything about it. I'm like, <laughs> come to find out, I was off on each of them in some significant way myself. And it wasn't because I hadn't read Scripture. I had. Rather, it was because for some reason, I just wasn't ready for the truth. At least not all of it, according to God. I mean, there's sprinkled in there, you know, my, I don't want the truth. But I'm making a point. I wasn't ready for the truth. There were certain things I just wasn't ready. If I had heard the truth about most of those topics I just listed, I would have rejected it. And I probably heard it. I remember having a friend, I, I don't, please don't think this is about me, but I just came up. I had a friend of mine in the service. This is back in the late 80s. He was the best roommate I ever had. And he took me to church. And he kept asking me and asking me and asking me and asking me. And he took me and I was like, yeah, yeah, you know. And then, like, what is it, decades later, I'm still thinking about him? Right? For whatever reason, I had to be a complete jackass for years. I know. Before I was ready. Why? I don't know. Not many wise, right? Not many noble. He sticks, he oftentimes sticks the worst of us behind pulpits so that we can actually teach with empathy. I, I mean, that's at least part of it. So, I don't know. And you can say this in your own life. Is many times you just weren't ready for the truth. You just weren't ready for it. And you have to say that that was at least according to God's plan. This is why we all ought to be so very grateful for God's patience in our lives. Patience. He's so patient with us. And this is what perspective can give you up here on the board. Perspective is everything. With proper perspective, we always end up giving thanks to God. 
this is pleasing to him. When you look back on your life, the way I just shared with you, and you look back and you say, man, I was lost on this thing, lost on that thing, deceived, deceived, deceived. And God was patient with me. And looking back, I have truth that sets me free now, and I have a sense of freedom in my soul that is far superior, far surpasses any of the previous years of my life. And looking back, the only way I could get here was through all that. So with proper perspective, we always end up giving thanks to God. And this is pleasing. Go to 1 Thessalonians 5.16. 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Yeah, this is one of my favorite passages. What of it? We go here all the time, don't we? Yeah, we do. Why? Why do you think? Because you need it. Because you're deceived. Everyone in here is deceived somehow in their soul. It's why you have to keep coming to church. It's the, one of the functions of a shepherd. Because while you're all wrapped up, you're so close to the fire, you can't see anything, you're so myopic, you get your horse blinders on, a person with objective wisdom says, hey, wake up. You're being deceived. You're like, oh, I don't know. Who are you? Right? That's my job. I'm the whipping boy. Right? 1 Thessalonians 5.16 Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. And everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. He loves it when you have aha moments. He loves it when you get to look back and go, boy, did I get sanctified. He loves it. He loves it even when the angels get to watch. It's all part of bringing glory to Himself. He loves it all. He wants, you know, heaven's going to be a really nice, happy place. We're going to worship him for a reason. I don't know about you, unless he changes things, I'm just going to be like, hey, thank you. Jesus is going to be like, get away from me. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, did I tell you thank you yet? Jesus, where are you going? Jesus! Man, he's fast. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's all we're ever going to want to do, aren't we? Think about that. When you have no longer tied in front of that 70... 80, 90 inch television, the only thing left is going to be gratitude. You're going to be like, oh man, man, this is amazing. And we want a slice of that now. And that's what he wants for all of us. Again, where do we get there? Or how do we get there? Perspective. Perspective is everything. With proper perspective, we always end up giving thanks to God. This is pleasing to him. For example, how grateful are you for the last two series coming from this pulpit, namely, how God enlightens the eyes of our hearts and who will separate us from the love of Christ. I'm really grateful. As the Spirit's been weaving our lessons together, we have gained perspective and even wisdom. And when we possess these things, we are shrewd as serpents, evading deception. How does God enlighten the eyes of our hearts? We found out. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? We found out. When we understand these things, we have the right perspective now, even wisdom. And that we take that, and that's what enables us to be as shrewd as serpents. Go to Ephesians 6.11. Ephesians 6.11 echoes of how God enlightens the eyes of our hearts, resulting in our ability to be as shrewd as serpents. Because if, you if you're in the dark, you're not going to be shrewd. You're going to get bit every time, right? Think about it. If you jump into a cave and it's pitch black and there's 100,000 uh, serpents in there, you're going to get bit and you're never going to know where, to, where it's coming from. But if the lights are on, you could, you get my point. 100,000 might be a bit much, but <laughs> I need more than lights here. What a rope. <laughs> Ephesians 6.11. Put on the full armor of God so you will be able to stand firm against what? The schemes of the devil. He's smarter than you. He's even better looking than you. Sean's like, really? I don't know. The schemes of the devil. He's smarter than you. There's no way you could be shrewd and even be delivered from his schemes without the word of God. It's the only protection we have. It's the only, and thank God it's simple. Thank God the precepts are pretty straightforward. And thank God that God gives us the ability and the faith to live in them. 
But that's what it means. Put on the full armor of God so you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Where do we get our perspective from? And what does Satan not want us to do daily? Read our Bibles. Go to class. Read the blog. Hey, did I tell you there's a new book out? Yeah, just saying. The Word is the full armor of God. The Word is the full armor of God. Put on Christ. Put on the Word. And I'll share Pastor Piper's thoughts on this again regarding Satan and reading the Bible up here on the board. Satan is not opposed to all Bible reading. Bible reading that only collects facts or relieves a guilty conscience or gathers doctrinal arguments or titillates aesthetic literary tastes or feeds historical curiosities. This kind of Bible reading Satan is perfectly happy to leave alone. He has already won the battle. He himself is quite a student of scriptures and quotes it to Jesus shrewdly in the wilderness temptations, Matthew 4, 1-11. But reading that aims to see the supreme worth and beauty of God, not you in the mirror, God, reading that aims to, to be satisfied with all that God is for us in Christ, reading that seeks to taste and see that the Lord is good. This reading and all that goes into it, Satan will oppose with all his might, and his might is supernatural. Therefore, any reading that hopes to overcome this, his blinding power must be a supernatural reading. And I think I'll just about end with a couple more principles. As James put it more succinctly in James 1.21, an old friend of ours from a month or so ago, therefore putting aside all filthiness. What's filthy? Deception. Therefore putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, deception, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save or deliver your souls. And I think I'll just end with this, talking about perspective and talking about deliverance from deception. And a lot of it, the deception that we've worked on over the past few years has been lifelong, lifestyle even, deceptions. There are some of us right now, in, well, all of us, some way, have certain lifestyle, elements to our lifestyle that are completely ungodly. That every time we go and do it, God's like, I don't want you doing that. But we're so deceived that we do it almost in blindness, for lack of a better term. But the Word of God says, In humility receive the Word implanted, which is able to save your souls. So much about sanctification and deliverance from deception itself. And so, I guess in closing, the encouragement from the Spirit this morning is go home and realize what He's trying to do in you. And go evaluate your own life and say, is it true? Am I wrong on this or that? And if it's a little bit foggy or cloudy, go to prayer. Pray without ceasing. And just like Pastor Piper was saying there, don't just go to prayer with, you know, like, ah. I'm so tired, I'll just say that one more time. Is that good with you? Okay, I don't feel like There's no earnestness. There's no time set aside. There's no real fellowship there. It's mockery. Don't go, to, don't go in prayer in mockery of God. Because God's never mocked. It's not a duty. You're going there for answers. You're going to the throne of grace. Give us more faith, said the apostles. That's an earnest desire for the grace and mercy of God. And it's made upon a throne of the one who loves us. But if you're going to skip out all that and play all these weird games and do like the NBA players do, yay, I just scored 50, I'm so awesome. What did you just do? What did you just do? What was that little thing you just did? 
All glory and honor goes to you, but you want to use my Lord's name? You might as well be using it in vain. I got nothing against basketball, by the way. Just the culture that surrounds it. We're talking about the most serious thing in life itself, which is after salvation for we believers is deliverance, is sanctification. And when we're sanctified, we have a more of a servant's heart, and we have more of a servant's heart. We do that primary thing we're supposed to do, which is take the gospel out to the four corners of the world. I'll end with this up here on the board. Oh, I already put it up there. There it is. Salvation. Regardless of whether we are speaking of being saved from the penalty of sin or the power of it, in other words, positionally or experientially sanctified, salvation is always a function of the Word of God. Always. That's why we have to just keep in the Word of God. Keep in the Word of God. Put on the full armor of God to evade the schemes of the devil. This is what we are after. In humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for another Sunday filled with gratitude. Thank you for reminding us of all the things we ought to be grateful for. Thank you for your grace, your mercy, and your love, Father. And thank you for allowing us and giving us the ability to love you back. What a tremendous blessing it is to abide in the sphere of your love. Father, it's an ancient love and it's something that we're all looking forward to so much. But whatever is pleasing to you, Father, whether it's here on earth or face to face, we just want to be pleasing to you. Father, thank you for this opportunity and thank you for your patience. We ask for your blessings as we take what we've learned out to a lost and dying world, Father, that needs it so desperately. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.